Hello and welcome to the Talking Techniques podcast. Brought to you by Biotechniques, this show brings you the latest from the frontiers of the life sciences, straight from the people exploring them. I'm your host, Biotechniques Senior Editor, Tristan Free, and on this episode, we'll be discussing mitochondria, their relationship with the immune system and the roles that they can play in different diseases. Providing an expert insight into this field is Philip West, Principal Investigator of the West Lab at Texas A&M Medicine. Coming up, discover the vital roles that mitochondria play in the immune response. As mitochondria, if mitochondria become injured, and this can occur during disease and aging, um, they can release these damage associated molecular patterns that can trigger the immune system. Their association with cancer. And so a mounting body of research um, now uh, shows that declining mitochondrial function and changes in metabolism um, directly uh, lead to uh, can directly lead to cancer formation and the metastasis of cancer cells um, into different organs. And the exciting discovery spatial techniques have made in this space. We have now been able to link mitochondrial injury and the release of dance and the inflammatory response that happens um, to the recruitment of specific uh, innate immune cell types into the melanoma tumor microenvironment. So firstly, Philip, please can you introduce yourself and tell us a bit about the focus of your lab? Sure. Thank you very much, Tristan, for the introduction. I'm really excited to, to be here today to join you and the scientific community for this podcast. Um, I'm currently an assistant professor in the Department of Microbial Pathogenesis and Immunology at the Texas A&M University School of Medicine. Uh, and my lab is generally focused on understanding um, how the innate immune system contributes to inflammatory responses in diseases and aging. Um, and just a, a brief introduction to the innate immune system for those who are not um, card-carrying immunologists. The innate immune system is an evolutionarily ancient arm of immunity um, that is conserved from bacteria to man um, and is mostly evolved to detect microbial signatures of infection. So for example, upon bac bacterial infection, uh, the innate immune system will sense these conserved pathogen associ associated molecular patterns or PAMPs that are found in bacteria. And this can then trigger the innate immune system to produce inflammatory mediators, uh, generate antimicrobial proteins, um, and recruit specialized phagocytic cells such as macrophages and neutrophils. Um, and so we know that the innate immune system is very important at clearing bacteria and viral agents, um, but it's also more recently come to light that the innate immune system um, can be activated by tissue injury. And this can occur as pathogens um, damage cells during infection, um, but may also occur in different disease states that are unrelated to bacterial and viral infection. Um, and so, for example, dying cells, um, we know, release molecules that are termed damage-associated molecular patterns or DAMPs, and these can activate um, innate immune receptors and cells of the innate immune system um, to drive inflammation. And so what we appreciate now is actually that these DAMPs um, are important drivers of inflammation in a wider uh, array of diseases, including neurodegenerative diseases such as Alzheimer's and Parkinson's, cardiovascular diseases, uh, cancer, and even aging. Um, and so for the fat past seven years, my lab has really been focused on understanding how the breakdown of cell and tissue homeostasis leads to the release of these inflammatory mediators or DAMPs. And we're trying to understand um, 
particularly how uh, the um, immune system responds to them and initiates inflammation. And our ultimate goal is to define new ways to inhibit or, or slow these innate immune cascades um, to improve outcomes in disease and, and really overall human health. Fantastic. And so could you then provide a bit more detail about the role that mitochondria then play in that innate immunity um, and subsequently some forms of uh, cardiovascular disease? Sure, absolutely. So I, I mentioned earlier um, that these damage-associated molecular patterns or damps um, are released from cells, um, dying cells or injured cells. And it turns out actually that many of these um, damps or, or inflammatory alarmins are um, released from mitochondria um, or the nucleus. So a little bit about mitochondria. So mitochondria are traditionally regarded as power plants of our cells. And, you know, they turn glucose or other dietary fuels into energy that, um, that cells in our bodies can use. Um, and so in addition to that, though, we know that mitochondria play very essential roles in a variety of other pathways. And so when they stop functioning normally, um, they contribute to, to various different diseases. And so um, research over the past few years has shown that mitochondria are central players in the immune system. Um, primarily, uh, we know that the generation of immune responses takes a lot of energy. And mitochondria, of course, supply this energy um, in the form of ATP or other metabolites to power the um, immune system to fight off infectious microbes. Um, however, we know that um, as mitochondria, if mitochondria become injured, and this can occur during disease and aging, um, they can release these damage-associated molecular patterns that can trigger the immune system. And we think this is because um, mitochondria evolved from bacteria before they uh, became um, sort of components of mammalian cells. And so if we think about mitochondria as sort of vestigial bacteria, many of the things inside of mitochondria look more bacterial or foreign uh, in nature to our cells. And so if these organelles become injured and release their components into either the cytoplasm of the cell or the extracellular space, um, this can trigger the innate immune system to respond in a similar fashion as it would respond uh, to bacterial or viral infection. And unfortunately, these uh, the release of these damps from mitochondria can, can often have damaging side effects um, and amplify the, the progression of disease. So we're, in my lab, we're really interested in understanding to cataloging these damps, to understanding what they are, um, to, to exploring how they're released, and most importantly, actually to understanding the physiological and the pathophysiological relevance of the release of these, um, these agents. Um, so Tristan, one, one example could be um, during uh, myocardial infarction or a heart attack, for example, cardiac muscle cells would be deprived of nutrients and oxygen um, and those cells might die. And the death of those cardiac muscle cells um, would lead to mitochondrial injury and the spillage of these mitochondrial uh, alarmins. They could either be nucleic acids from mitochondria or damaged proteins. And once these actually make it out into the heart, um, it triggers the innate immune system to produce cytokines and other inflammatory mediators. 
and cause an, an inflammatory response um, in the heart after a heart attack. And this can lead to uh, poor uh, poor prognosis and poor recovery after in, after uh, the heart attack um, occurs. And so I think um, this is just one example of how um, cell death can lead to this inflammation and, and mitochondrial injury can actually lead to an inflammatory response. Um, but we'd like to understand this a bit more um, with the hopes that if we can intervene in this process, uh, hopefully we can improve health outcomes in cardiovascular diseases and many other diseases where inflammation plays a deleterious role. Okay. Um, and so you, uh, you, you, you mentioned there um, other indications where mutations can play a, a, a deleterious role. Um, so they can also, mitochondria can play a crucial part in the development of cancer. Um, so please could you describe some of the, the pathways that you're investigating here, um, talking about that link between mitochondria and cancer? Sure, absolutely. Um, so as I mentioned, mitochondria are important in, in energy generation. And um, what we appreciate now is that mitochondrial health um, and the efficiency of our mitochondria decline with age. Um, and, and in correlation to cancer, aging is the greatest risk factor um, for most cancer types um, that humans experience. And so in a mounting body of research um, now uh, shows that declining mitochondrial function and changes in metabolism um, directly uh, lead to uh, can directly lead to cancer formation and the metastasis of cancer cells um, into different organs. Um, the mechanisms are not completely worked out. Um, and so that's something that's really exciting to us in our lab and, and actually many other labs. Um, and we've been using a, a mouse model of melanoma skin cancer and we found uh, really interesting links between mitochondrial dysfunction or mitochondrial injury and the suppression of the immune cells in the tumor um, that are that are really required to control tumor growth and metastasis. Um, we also know that mitochondrial dysfunction leads to the damper, damp release, as I mentioned, in the tumor microenvironment. And that can lead to an imbalance in uh, the production of cytokines and other inflammatory mediators that can drive the formation of new blood vessels and lymphatics in the tumor um, that can promote the escape of the tumor cells out of the primary tumor site into other, other organs. Um, so we're interested in understanding this process. And I think one thing that's emerging um, is as mitochondrial injury occurs, not only do you have sort of a, a repression of the immune system, but you have uh, growth in blood vessels and, and other, um, other events happening at the level of the stroma that allow the tumor to uh, grow, to metastasize, and ultimately get out into distal organs. And the, the melanoma model that we're using is a metastatic melanoma model. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure as many of you know, metastasis or the spread to distal organs is, is really the most deadly event in melanoma. And so if we can understand this mitochondrial innate immune connection, I think that this would lead to a, a certainly a much better prognosis for patients if we can intervene um, and, and treat the inflammatory processes happening and also boost uh, boost the healthy function of our immune system to kill uh, tumor cells in the uh, in the tumor microenvironment. And so, what some of 
what are some of the technologies that you're using to conduct these investigations of the interplay between mitochondria, um, the immune system and disease? Sure, yes. So my lab utilizes microscopy and imaging techniques very heavily. Um, I think it's probably the one of the largest things that we that we spend our time doing is looking in a microscope after we've done staining. Um, we utilize confocal microscopy and super resolution uh, imaging techniques to actually visualize mitochondria in cells. Um, and using antibodies and other dyes, we can actually label mitochondria and image their health in living cells. We can also study damage to mitochondrial membranes um, and other types of, of dysfunction in the organelle that would release um, or lead to the spillage of damps um, that can drive inflammation. And so we really are using these cell biology techniques and, and high resolution imaging to actually study the, the molecular events that are happening I and mean, the cellular events that are happening um, to lead to the release. Um, but in addition to these cell biological approaches, uh, we rely heavily on animal models of disease to, you know, to understand how mitochondrial dysfunction shapes tissue injury and organismal health. Um, and as I mentioned, the, I've already mentioned the melanoma model that we are using, um, but we also uh, study different animal models of heart disease and neurological dysfunction um, to understand how uh, mitochondrial damage can activate um, the innate immune system and lead to the recruitment of immune cells in, in inflamed tissues. And so here we're um, really using um, and have become very excited about spatial biology techniques um, which we can use to visualize immune cell recruitment and function in, uh, for example, the melanoma, melanoma tumor environment or other inflamed organs in our, in our different diseases and to define how these immune cells change over time. Um, and in this regard, we're really excited about a new collaboration we have with Fortis Life Sciences um, in the spatial biology arena. Um, and in collaboration with Fortis, we've implemented a new multiplex antibody panel to spatially resolve immune cells in the tumor microenvironment, track the localization and abundance of these cells, and then to define how these cells change as the primary melanoma tumor grows and also metastasizes to uh, draining lymph nodes and other organs such as the lung and the brain. And our ultimate goal with these techniques is to define the connections between mitochondrial dysfunction um, in tumor cells um, and to, to understand how those dying cells or, or um, altered immune cell, uh, excuse me, altered melanoma cells change the immune microenvironment in the tumor um, and basically limit the effective clearance of those cells. Um, our goal is to try to, if we understand what's going wrong in the tumor with the immune system, um, we might be able to intervene or develop new therapies that could boost anti-tumor immunity in melanoma and other malignancies and, and improve disease outcomes for patients. Excellent. Um, and so if you had any tips for best practice for anyone trying to conduct these kinds of spatial studies, um, mm -hmm. what would they be? So I think something that we've learned um, very well over the past few years is that all imaging-based techniques using antibodies require validated reagents that are, are highly specific for the targets being um, stained. And so uh, I think our collaborator Fortis is really great in this regard. 
um, because their antibody reagents are, are extensively validated in multiple applications. And we've, you know, this provides significant confidence um, that the staining that we observe in cells or, or in tissues really accurately reflects the antigen uh, target that we're, that we're studying. Um, and the, the other thing I would say in spatial biology techniques, depending on the method that you're using, um, we've learned that the staining order, the, the way in which you label your tissues with antibodies, the order in which those antibodies are delivered um, into the tissue blocks, for example, um, determines the quality of the staining. And this matters tremendously. Um, some of these methods require antigen retrieval steps or heating betwe between rounds of antibody staining. And that those steps can significantly impact the performance leading to artifacts. And so I think what's really important is to optimize the staining order in any of these spatial techniques um, or multiplex uh, IHC-like approaches such that you have optimal staining of your targets and therefore you can visualize the cells and the tissues uh, completely um, while minimizing the, the artifacts. And I think this provides the confidence that um, what you are studying is in fact real. Um, and so I I'd say those things are, are something that we, we've really learned and um, have come to appreciate as important for both cell biological high resolution confocal as well as spatial techniques that we're using. What are some of the discoveries then that you've made using these, these spatial approaches um, mm -hmm. in this space that really excite you of late? One thing that's really that we found recently and, and has really stimulated our, our interest is that we have now been able to link mitochondrial injury and the release of damps and the inflammatory response that happens um, to the recruitment of specific uh, innate immune cell types into the melanoma tumor microenvironment. And these we found that these are mostly uh, tumor-associated neutrophils and macrophages. These are phagocytic cells that are normally involved in um, clearance of bacteria, other microbes during an infectious response. But we found that mitochondrial injury um, or damage or dysfunction in the tumor microenvironment can lead to uh, the recruitment of large numbers of these macrophages and neutrophils and those cells actually are change the uh, vascularization of the tumor and the microenvironment um, that basically limits the uh, the immune system from effectively killing the cancer cells. Um, we've also learned that these macrophages or neutrophils that are coming into the tumor um, using spatial techniques, we can see that uh, correlate the large number of macrophages and neutrophils with a reduced number of T cells in the tumor microenvironment. And, and T cells are very important in killing tumor cells. So if we have an inverse correlation between the numbers of uh, neutrophils and macrophages with T cells, that, that tells us that those cells are basically restricting effective uh, anti-tumor or, or, or tumor cell clearance and anti-tumor immunity. Um, so the antibody panels and the spatial techniques that we've been employing um, have really allowed us to, to push our knowledge in this area um, and to understand immune cell changes in the tumor microenvironment. We hope, hope that um, by, by continuing to push in this area, um, we might be able to understand how to manipulate innate immune cells and boost the CD8 T cells in the tumor um, to effectively um, 
kill the melanoma cells in the primary tumor and limit their limit their spread in the rest of the field as well so outside of your lab um but in this field of uh the mitochondria and in disease and mm -hmm. in cancer and, and inflammation um sure. are there any other discoveries that have been made recently that you're looking at and thinking wow that's really impressive and that's sort of something that i now can use in my research Sure. Yes. There's really exciting new evidence um, that actually that boosting or augmenting mitochondrial health in the immune system um, can actually lead to better immune control of cancer. And many laboratories are, are using mouse models um, or pharmacological or antibody-based approaches um, to augment mitochondrial function and therefore uh, increase the activity of immune cells in the tumor microenvironment. And so this maybe works by supercharging mitochondrial metabolism in innate immune cells, um, as well as lymphocytes, for example, T cells in the tumor microenvironment and allowing them to um, better function to control tumor cells. Um, but also if we improve mitochondrial health and, and limit the dysfunction that I mentioned earlier, um, we can slow this persistent leakage of these damps, um, which contribute to a persistent inflammation and cytokine imbalances that are also contributing to, to tumor growth. And so I think there's a lot of really exciting evidence um, coming out now that um, specifically pharmacological agents that can, that can elevate um, mitochondrial health, uh, such as nicotinamide riboside or, or other derivatives, um, can help to improve anti-tumor immunity. And I think this is a really exciting area that, you know, it's great for understanding the basic biology of what's going on, but also very important for, for human health and control of cancer and, and also just slowing the, the aberrant immune responses in, in other disease. So I think this is a really exciting time to be working at the mitochondria immune disease interface. Excellent. Uh, I think that's, that's great. It's really um, interesting when those kind of basic findings actually have such a clear and determinable clinical impact and, and a, a something that you can see, right, well, that clearly is going to have um, an implication for an actual real human being later on down the line. And you can see that link really nice and clearly. Absolutely. Um, so if and for so finally to, to conclude if, if there was one tool or insight that you could ask for to improve your understanding of the role of mitochondria in immunity and disease um what, what would it be well there are a lot of things that we'd certainly love to have i would say if if we were able to develop imaging techniques uh, that would allow us to visualize uh, mitochondrial injury in cells and to connect that directly with larger processes actually happening in tissues. And so right now, it's a bit difficult to track events happening in cellular organelles, such as mitochondria, and to connect that to greater uh, or larger events happening in the overall tissue for thinking about a, a tissue section, just due to the poor resolution often that you have in, in sectioning. And so I think I'm, I'm hopeful that with new tissue clearing techniques um, and methods that, that will be hopefully developed over the next few years, this will allow high resolution imaging um, and we'll be able to couple um, the cellular imaging with tissue imaging um, to understand really the events linking mitochondrial injury, damp release, or changes in metabolism directly to uh, the immune cell recruitment in tumors or other diseased tissues and to really connect cellular to or molecular to cellular events um, from from beginning to end 
in vivo. And I think that's a really exciting place that hopefully we'll be moving um, in the next few years. Brilliant. Well, that's all of my questions. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Philip. Thank you, Tristan. And uh, thank you to you, our listeners, for joining in for this episode. If you enjoyed it and would like to find out more, you can find all of our podcasts on the podcast section of our website at www.vitaneeks.com or follow at Cy Tristan for updates. Thanks for listening and goodbye.